But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just meant depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas's idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Give Us a Second. A mini-sode series. Brought to you by the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 49th edition. And we are talking about our favorite episodes of Seinfeld, Volume 4. Returning to the apartment in Manhattan. A few more notes than usual. Yeah, if you're a fan of Seinfeld, then this is great news. We are once again going (laughs) back to the well. If you're not into Seinfeld, you're probably not even pushing play on this. But I guess we might as well say now we're super into the show, obviously. And it's on Netflix and you can watch it. You can check out these episodes there. And we've already covered 18. And this will make 24 after this episode. But we are going to take a break with Seinfeld after this and i think we will bring it back though next year sometime so there will be more if you're into seinfeld we love talking about it it's one of our go-to shows however we'd like to mix in a little other content for our mini-sodes totally yeah so this is it for a while for seinfeld some potential big plans so if you're missing some you're thinking well how did they not do this one or that one well Relax. There could be more coming. Just <laughs> calm down. These are just random. And plus, you can't account for the ones that Matt picked. They're just completely off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still thinking we're going to do them all, so it doesn't matter. We're definitely not going to do them all, but we are going to do a lot more, yeah. probably. Anyway, as you know already, you can find us on Twitter, at GreatestPod, and we would love for you to be subscribed to the program on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Don't ever miss an episode. I think we're back on track, going strong. We know we've taken a lot of breaks this year, but I think we're in it for the long haul right now. That's the plan. (laughs) Definitely. We're the most organized we've ever been as far as a recording schedule. Yeah, yeah. If you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter. Once again, that is at GreatestPod. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there. And if you do have a few moments, we would love for you to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We love to see any kind of feedback. It's a lot of fun. You can shoot us a, a tweet, a DM, whatever as well. Let us know you're out there. Let us know what you think of the Give Us a Seconds. Yeah, yeah. Check out <laughs> the whatever. Patreon page where we're only doing Seinfeld. Yeah. We're having a special Patreon where we do more Seinfeld content. (laughs) Seinfeld and Twin Peaks content (laughs) exclusively. Zero subscriptions sold. (laughs) Let's get into it. We got another six episodes to cover. As Matt mentioned, a lot of notes. So this will probably be longer than the After Hours episode that we just posted. I'm guessing. That's my guess. We'll see how it goes. But I'm guessing this is going to pass the regular episode we just posted very good watching these episodes by the end of this run i was just like starting to write down these names the names of these other characters on seinfeld are like insane (laughs) 
Dolores Mulva. <laughs> well, Mulva is just the name that he he thought it, her name was. Are you okay? Remember? Yeah, yeah. Pincus. <laughs> Pincus is someone we never meet. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's supposed to be his last name. Right, right. <laughs> okay, let's jump into it. The first one on the docket, The Tape, Season 3, Episode 8, written by Bob Shaw and Don McHenry and Larry David, directed by David Steinberg. George orders hair growing cream from China. Jerry is mesmerized by a dirty message left on a tape recorder from his last comedy performance, which leads to George becoming infatuated with Elaine. Finally, this is being explored. How can they have this beautiful woman in the group? <laughs> no one's ever falling for. Yeah, that was my big takeaway from this episode as well. I don't understand why they're not constantly in love with Elaine. Right. I saw a tweet recently that was something to the effect of showing my girlfriend <laughs> clips of Elaine from Seinfeld and saying, be like this. <laughs> <laughs> this is Ping's first appearance. He appears in three more later episodes. Oh, yeah. And the Chinese baldness cure is based on something Larry David actually tried. I felt like that might be the case. The real Kenny Kramer was taking pictures of his head just like Kramer does to George in this episode. <laughs> we open with Kramer and this video camera. It reminded me a little bit of the movie Sex, Lies, and Videotape. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. They weave so many things from movies into this that sometimes you see things that it feels like it must be from something, but I don't recognize what it is. And then there's other ones that it's so obvious what it is. But it yeah. always feels like that's on the table at any time. Yeah, I have thought about looking into a definitive glossary yeah. of all of the movie references they do in Seinfeld, but right. I never have. I know. And I, I'm sure that even the ones online out there, I'm sure they've missed some of them. Well, there's times when you can tell that what's happening is one, but I don't recognize what it's from. Yeah, and it's not just full-blown parody. Sometimes it's just a line or yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, right. For example, when Kramer ends up lost yeah, and, at the nexus of the universe, yeah, and Jerry does the Last of the Mohicans dialogue. <laughs> right. That's something that my parents, who were big fans of Seinfeld, probably would never know what that was. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure my parents missed a lot of the film references Same. throughout. I did like the joke of Kramer's friend who's giving up all this stuff. That's why Kramer has the camera, because his friend is turning to minimalism, but uh -huh. he's also the guy with the fat fetish. <laughs> Jerry points out, is that a conflict? I also wrote that line down. <laughs> Jerry receives a sexual message from a mystery woman reminiscent of a penthouse letter, which was always like a big reference in these days. Yeah. I think they reference penthouse letters several times in Seinfeld. Sure do, yeah. Something that doesn't quite translate to 2022. No. For younger audiences. Yeah, I mean, later, I think I wrote it down, I think it's in the Fix Up episode where they're talking about the rainforest, too, which always seemed like a topic in the 90s, you know what I mean? People just have given up. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's just morphed into the larger global, global warming, warming thing, yeah. climate change thing. Elaine tells George that it was she who is the sexy voice on the tape just a spontaneous prank. Kind of an elaborate prank. And George instantly becomes attracted to her. And as we've already pointed out, how are they not all in love with Elaine all the time? Yeah. It doesn't really make sense I know. To me. And there's some, th this stretch of episodes that we're doing, I feel like are heavy 
sexy Elaine Epps. Elaine makes George promise not to tell Jerry and spoil the fun. This leads to a lot of comedic moments with George where he's hiding his feelings for Elaine. He's patting his head with a napkin because he's getting so turned on at the thought of her saying these things. It is sort of a quaint idea. Maybe I'm just too fucked up and depraved, but I can't really imagine what she could possibly be saying that is like so over the top (laughs) that they're just falling in love with her. Well, she does a little bit of it, doesn't she, to George? She does the voice, but the implication is that she's saying things that are so dirty that That it's blowing their minds. Yeah, couldn't be on cable. George keeps re-listening to the tape. I love everybody fighting over the tape, trying to listen to the tape. Yeah, including Jerry, who already dated Elaine. Kramer, with his video camera, starts doing this pretend porno gag with George on the phone with Beijing about this baldness cure. And then Elaine's going along with it, pretending that she's this adult video star. The fact that George's crush only exists within the contents of this episode, I can't buy this. (laughs) Because... I totally understand the infatuation growing beyond just the normal, hey, here's a attractive, fun woman that we hang out all the time. I mean, when she does this bit, I'm like falling out of my chair. Ping acts as the translator so that George can order this cream. And then George ends up giving Elaine a ride home. And it's very fun to bask in the awkwardness of oh, this yeah. moment where... Elaine is willing to keep hanging out with George, but it's almost a a rare moment of self-awareness from George where he realizes that he can't do this. It's true, except doesn't make it (laughs) through the full episode. Well, just the idea that he can't actually be alone with her and hang out with her. He knows well enough to not do it because (laughs) she's like, I am up for anything. And he's like losing his mind. Yeah, you would think the normal George move here would be to put it all out there right here and her be mortified. Well, I'll just just talk to you through Jerry. Yeah. The usual way. (laughs) Jerry is determined to get in touch with the woman who left the message, and he finds out who sat near the tape recorder and gets her number. How this all happens is sort of up for debate. I don't really know how that actually plays out. Yeah. But he figures it out somehow. And then we never see this woman, but after his date with her, we find out he tried to kiss her, but he gets the pullback, quote-unquote. Which is mind-boggling after this tape. Yeah, and he concludes that she must be crazy. I'm a big fan of the sequence where George confesses to Jerry of being attracted to Elaine and how that all plays out with Kramer coming in and out of the room and (laughs) him wanting to do it privately and then Jerry's reaction to it. (laughs) I know. Jerry, the inability to seemingly ever really have feelings about anything. Yeah. Because I mean, you would think it's like, well, dude, it is weird that you're saying that you're into this girl that I used to date. But that would just never be a factor for Jerry. But it's just another one of those moments. I guess George probably feels comfortable enough knowing that Jerry is a sociopath. Right? and he doesn't really care about anyone. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. He's got it figured out. But they launch into their little Abbott and Costello routine where does she know, know, how did this happen? I can't tell you. Why not? Because I promised her. Yeah, but you said she didn't know. She doesn't. (laughs) Then how can you promise her? What are you doing here? 
I was the one who talked into your tape recorder. I know, George told me. <laughs> you told him? He, he threatened me. Where did you come up with all that stuff? Oh, that was nothing. Elaine. I, I have to tell you something. George, no. No, 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 no. George, I'm telling you. What is it? I'm very attracted to you. I found a hair. Yes. Okay, come here, come here. Take a look at this. Ever since I found out that you left a message on Jerry's tape recorder, I... I... Whoa. <laughs> that was you? It was a joke. Wait a God. Oh, yeah. Elaine, I can't believe that that is you. I think I'll get going. No, uh, stick around a while. It's early. We'll order Chinese. George tells Jerry finally that it was elaine on the tape and then elaine comes in and tells jerry but then jerry's like george already told me george then confesses to elaine his attraction for her but at that point that's kramer's in the room he finds out about the tape oh yeah he starts listening to it again and then all three of them end up attracted to elaine once they know it's her which i guess is a little bit of a commentary on how pathetic men are yeah any little whisper of sex and also, the best way for George's infatuation to get revealed because it's this mortifying moment for him, but then it's quickly able to be moved on from because then it's just all the dudes being creeps. Yeah, I think the show is just playing it off that they're attracted to the idea of this uninhibited sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Which, of course, is absurd because it's Elaine and we all love her, but I think that's what they're going for is that it's not right. a real thing. Which brings us to another season three episode. And this one, I was glad to see it on our list because I actually kind of forgot that it was. Yeah. And I rewatched it after we recorded The Last Batch, just for fun. Right, right. And I was like, man, we got to add this to the list. And then I saw it was there and we were ready to do it. And I'm talking about The Fix Up, Season 3, Episode 16, written by Larry Charles and Elaine Pope, directed by Tom Sharone. Against their better judgment, Jerry and Elaine decide to be matchmakers, setting up the hopeless George with a single friend of Elaine's. Why even try anymore? There's no sense to it. I'm never going to meet anybody. I should just accept it. Oh, yes, you will. No, I won't. Yeah, maybe you won't. <laughs> I mean, it's hard enough to meet a woman you dislike, much less like. Are my nostrils getting bigger? No. See, why must it be so difficult? Why is all this tension and hostility? Why can't I just walk up to a woman on the street and say, Hi, I'm George. How are you? Is that so terrible? Hi. 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 There's just no men out there, you know? I know. I mean, the problem is uh, the good ones, you know, they're good. And they know they're in such demand. They're just not interested in confining themselves to one person. I hate the good ones. Is Jerry one of the good ones? That's a good question. I think he thinks he is. <laughs> the mediocre ones are available, but they're so insecure about not being one of the good ones that they're always going, oh, I'm not good enough for you. What are you doing with me? And eventually I just go, you're right. <laughs> 
somebody between good and mediocre. No, maybe I need somebody who has nothing. Somebody who just has to appreciate being with me because he's so desperate. <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I'm flirting with operators on the phone. I almost made a date with one. Oh, so there's still hope. I don't want hope. Hope is killing me. My dream is to become hopeless. When you're hopeless, you don't care. Mm -hmm. And when you don't care, that indifference makes you attractive. Uh -huh. So hopelessness is the key. It's my only hope. See, I wouldn't really mind so much, but I feel badly for my mother. I mean, if my mother weren't around, it wouldn't be so bad. But I'm telling you, if I'm not married by the time I'm 40, I'm going to have to kill her. Because it's the only fair thing to do. I just couldn't put her through that. Well, at least you're not bitter. Who says I'm not bitter? Aren't you too young to be bitter? No, you can be young and bitter. But just maybe not as bitter as I'm going to be 10 years from now, but I'm bitter. Anyway, don't tell anyone. Don't worry, your bitterness is safe with me. Um, order me a piece of cake. I'm going to go throw up. This is one that, as I was going through watching a bunch of episodes when we first started making our initial selections, I just loved this episode so much. Sometimes I watch some of the episodes, even episodes that I really like, and like some of the side story stuff that just seems like a yeah. And there's, I think, a couple on this but I don't podcast that I'm going to dismiss yeah. some of the side stories, <laughs> right? But I love so many scenes in this one. Like I just think it carries the main premise like so well all the way throughout. Well, it did win the Emmy Award for Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series at the 1992 Ceremony. And if you'd like a wild journey one night, take a look at Larry Charles's Instagram. Sort of a unique character. Okay. Larry Charles was a primary person involved with Seinfeld and then Curb and then also was like the Borat director uh -huh. and just a weird dude. Yeah, sure. I like talking about this episode in particular because it's it's co-stars or guest stars Maggie Wheeler as Cynthia, who played Janice on Friends. Yeah. But this predates her ever being on Friends. I think she's pretty cute here. Yes, and I think that I would have liked to have seen her more yeah. on Seinfeld. I think she fits in well with the show. I think her conversations with Elaine are funny. I agree. She delivers the performance in a way that signifies to me that she gets what this humor is and why it's funny and totally. how to make it funny. <laughs> now, this was the early 90s. I'm sure the network execs were like, well, we already have one brunette woman. We can't have another one on the show all the time. That's too confusing. Right. I'm sure they would have thought she's too similar to Elaine no, I to know. ever bring her back, but... You know, she didn't need to be on it as much as Newman, but a couple more episodes throughout would have been fun, yeah, yeah. I think. No, I, I, I'm with you. She totally got the vibe and how to like fit in with these characters and just go with the dialect and like the insane things that they say. Jerry asks, George, are my nostrils getting bigger, which is a line repeated by Ronnie Kay, the prop comic, in a season five episode, The Fire. So they sort of recycled that joke. I'm not really okay. sure why. Maybe they forgot they already said that, but or maybe it's supposed to just be a little Easter weird egg thing. type thing. The opening cuts between George with Jerry out at a restaurant and Elaine with Cynthia at a different restaurant. 
both commiserating with their friends individually about the hopelessness of dating George on the verge of giving up. George, when he gets in these modes, it's just my favorite moments on the show, which happens a lot, but in particular, this stuff where he's like, why can't I just be like this? And then immediately when he tries to, (laughs) it just doesn't work. Which it's all bullshit. Yeah. And that's why Seinfeld is a show that you have to start over with every episode because George to put it bluntly oh, I know. gets more ass than like anyone I've ever met on this run of the episodes we're gonna do today I was just so physically upset watching him be with these women <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was something about th- this run that You're was like how can this be <laughs> striking my fancy as well I'm a big fan of Maggie Wheeler in this episode yep. and then some of the other ones later this is right in the opening when he's talking about why can't I be just a walk up and say hi guy or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and he just, hi, I'm George to this woman that's walking by, just complete blow off. Not even. Well, he half hearted it. He didn't yeah. really, he couldn't quite get it. Right, right. And then he has to pretend like he's not he, doing yeah. it. Yeah. There's specks of sauce on George's shirt, like flex. Yeah. Of well, food. He's eating disgusting, which of course comes up later. George being a filthy mess. Also seen across several of the episodes we're covering today. They've both essentially given up, him and Cynthia, on finding someone to date. And there's some very effective cuts back and forth. And it's telling to me that Cynthia and Elaine are holding their own in terms of comedy when you have Jason Alexander and Jerry Seinfeld going back and forth doing their trademark thing. And you could almost say that oh, yeah. the two women are funnier, or just as funny. At well, least. I think especially here it's good, but also when they get to the Elaine describing George to Cynthia's scene at Cynthia's apartment. Yeah. That's also an incredible back and forth. I don't want hope. Hope is killing me. <laughs> My dream is to become hopeless. Yeah. A great line by George. <laughs> this episode has a few casual bulimia jokes, which was also something big in the 90s. <laughs> I know. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that you grimace at just because you're anticipating how people would react to it now. I think that both of the bulimia mentions here are kind of funny. I agree. It's a darker sense of humor for sure, but... Well, it also feels like they come out of nowhere. Yeah, that's why it's funny. Just the weird casualness of it. Despite initially thinking it's a bad idea, Jerry and Elaine agree to fix George and Cynthia up vowing to be completely open about any information they receive from the two. Which you are like, well, that wouldn't fit the show. George's initial reaction, no, no, I'm not going down that road. And he (laughs) storms out of the room only to come back. What does she look like? (laughs) Out of the question. Out of the question. Why? No, I'm not going to do that. That's one step away from personal ads. No, no, I am not going down that road. What does she look like? She's good looking. How good looking? Very good looking. Really good looking? Really very good looking. Would you take her out? Yes, I would take her out. Oh, you hesitated. Why hesitate? I didn't hesitate. Something's off here, you hesitated. I'm telling you, she's good looking. What about the body? What kind of body? Good body. Nice body. How nice? Nice. Just nice? Pretty nice. Really good? Really very nice and good. (laughs) What about personality? personality. (laughs) 
Bright. Smarter than me? I don't want anyone smarter than me. How could she be smarter than you? All right, let's see, let's see. What else? What else? Oh, yeah, what does she do? First of all, what does he do? He was in real estate. Um, now, he's not working right now. Oh, he's not working? No, no, no. How come he's not working? Well, well, I mean, he got fired. Why did he get fired? Uh... Oh, right. Um, well, he tried to poison his boss. Excuse me? story, Cynthia. Seriously, I mean, he just had some problems at work. <laughs> Is he nuts? No, no, no. He's a really, really funny guy. <laughs> what does he look like? Pardon? What does he look like? Um, well, he's got a, a lot of character in his face. Um, he's short. Um, he's stocky. He's fat. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? That he's fat? Powerful. He is so powerful. He can lift a hundred pounds right up over his head. And, um, what else? What else? Oh, right, um, uh, well, he's, he's kind of, just kind of, mm, losing his hair. He's bald? No! No, 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 he's not bald. He's balding. So he will be bald. Yeah. What kind of hair? You know, long, dark hair. Flowing? <laughs> flowing? Is it flowing? I like flowing, cascading hair. Thick, lustrous hair is very important to me. Thick, lustrous hair is very important to me, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. Just clarifying. Let me ask you this. If you stick your hand in the hair, is it easy to get it out? Do you want to be able to get it out, or do you want to not be able to get it out? I'd like to be able to get it out. I think you'll get it out. What about the skin? I need a good cheek. I like a good cheek. She's got a fine cheek. Is there a pinkish hue? A pinkish hue? Yes, a, a, a rosy glow. There's a hue. You got great eyebrows. Women killed to have her eyebrows. Who cares about eyebrows? Is she sweet? I like sweet. Yeah. But not too sweet. You could throw up from that. I don't think you'll throw up. She likes to throw up. Has he ever been married? No. Has he been close? He once spent a weekend with a woman. <laughs> he didn't really try to poison his boss. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yes, the cut between Jerry selling this to George and Elaine selling this to yeah. Cynthia is very funny too because George's standards are hilarious. <laughs> For a guy that has no job. I know. Looks like he looks, has his dating history, has his history of everything. He's just George. And then he has to... Does she have a nice cheek? Nitpick I, I like every a nice physical cheek. detail. 
And this is, yeah, a very big thing in the 90s, the whole men versus women thing. But it is very well done in this episode, and that's probably why it won an Emmy. George, of course, is unemployed, stocky, and bald. I like Cynthia's reaction to each of these things because she can see through Elaine's spin. Right, right. Elaine's like, he's stocky. Although stocky would never be a... He's fat. Yeah, I mean, I would never think stocky would be a word to describe anything attractive. It's (laughs) been said about me. Anything better than fat, I guess. Yeah. I think that if you're tall and fat, you're probably not stocky. Right, okay. (laughs) You have to also be short. (laughs) Yeah, so I just don't know how that could be spun as a positive. If this was like modern Twitter, Cynthia's like, is he over six feet? Yeah. (laughs) No, then. (laughs) some of the things that george will just casually drop in conversation especially with jerry who he's comfortable with and his defenses aren't up are always funny to me where he's talking about how great the phone call went his first phone call with cynthia oh i know and he gets so excited i threw the notes away (laughs) mid call (laughs) just the way of introducing that he has notes (laughs) oh i know the wild swings are just in attitude for him and it happens here yeah, he becomes completely defeatist when Elaine comes in and he's grilling her. What did she say? What did she say? And she's like, she said you're getting together. That's she didn't it? mention the call? Yeah. <laughs> the good call we had? Well, you know, I'll still go on Saturday, but that's it. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Kramer shows up with free condoms via his friend Bob Sacramento, <laughs> a recurring character that we never actually see. George takes one of the free multicolored condoms i think it's a blue one which right there kramer bringing in condoms why would you ever think that would be a good idea i know george and cynthia actually go on the date and apparently hit it off pretty well at least well enough to have sex in george's kitchen shocking however the location of the sexual intercourse displeases cynthia and it leads to her not immediately returning george's phone calls Cynthia tells Elaine yeah. while George tells Jerry, but each of them make their friends swear to secrecy, vaults, etc., promises, whatever, Yeah, which is a conflict of interest on what Jerry and Elaine already swore to each other. However, right. they do stay loyal to their friends here and not immediately tell each other what they each already know. <laughs> Short-lived, though. It is tough. George and Susan is a relationship that makes sense to me. George and anyone else, no. (laughs) I mean, having sex with this woman on their first date just seems like the most impossible thing in the world to me. Well, notice how you you don't see that on the show. Right, right. You don't see their date because it's impossible to imagine. I know. Have you ever been set up? Not really. Have you ever set anyone else up? Hell no. I think I've kind of tried to set people up before a long time ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Long, long time ago. But, yeah, I, I can't really say so. I've ever been set up. I mean, I guess I think the closest thing to it is probably like, oh, here's a girl that I'm friends with and she's single. We can all hang out. And if something happens. Yeah. And I would say nothing ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have dated friend of friends uh-huh. that there was not an initial setup, but then it sort of becomes one after the fact. Where see, you're like, hey, I, you yeah, know, yeah, and then you try to get a word in. and See, I never wanted to do it because I was like aware enough to think of what other people might think the type of girls I could get is. 
and I just didn't want to be insulted. What an underrated idea there, yeah. I don't want to see what you think that I deserve. Because I know what it is. Oh, God. Cynthia misses her period. Kramer reveals that they were defective condoms. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Tensions build between Jerry and Elaine. They get into a slap fight. Several slap fights going on in these episodes. George walks in and overhears Elaine blurt out that Cynthia missed her period. But George is actually overjoyed. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And reacts so positively that Cynthia is actually won over and they temporarily reconcile. Now, I get what they're going for here, that George ends up being the stand-up guy out of nowhere. Not really in line with his character and no. never explained. Uh-uh. I guess he was so down on himself that he didn't even think he could get a woman pregnant, so that he thinks this is just good news. Although, in reality, he has no job. If he wasn't polling beautiful women all the time, this would play easier, because, wow, this beautiful woman actually hooked up with George. But that happens all the time. <laughs> I know. It's one of those things where you almost have to take like the men in black yeah, yeah. memory eraser to just start each new episode right. and pretend that George is a loser that's never gotten a woman before because some of the girlfriends and dates he has on the show are absurd. We've talked about that virtually yeah, I know. every time. It would we've be done enough this. to keep someone happy for a lifetime. Cynthia is won over, but it is temporary because she sees him eat at the end. Which is disgusting. So, I was thinking about this ending. They already went on a date. Yeah. On Seinfeld, usually a date is at least dinner, right. if not dinner in a movie. Uh-huh. But usually dinner's guaranteed as part of a date on yeah, Seinfeld. Yeah. So, was he on better behavior and now he's too comfortable? Is that why he's eating like a pig now and maybe he didn't do it on the date? You can sell it that way. That's the only logical explanation because I was thinking, wouldn't she have already seen him eat? Yeah, definitely. But just an her, animal, though. Her reaction to this is not positive. <laughs> I love that Jerry and Elaine immediately know. They're like, oof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a fun little bit, too, when they get to the restaurant and Jerry's pretending that his leg is hurt for some reason. He's like <laughs> acting. Yeah. I don't know, man. There's just so many great lines in that episode when they're doing the back and forth stuff and <laughs> George just being like, I like the flowing, cascading hair. Well, I get my hand stuck in her hair. Yeah. Do you want to get your hand stuck? And when Elaine is explaining George, and she's like, well, he did try to poison his boss. <laughs> like, why he doesn't have a job? Our next episode is season five, episode one, The Mango, written by Larry David and Lawrence H. Levy, directed by Tom Sharon. While Kramer is concerned with getting fruit from a fruit stand that he has been banned from, Elaine makes a startling confession that rocks Jerry to his core (laughs) and has ramifications on George as well. Hilarious premise in this episode. You guessed it, another ep, another run with George with just an absolute stunning woman. Yeah, I definitely like Lisa Edelstein as well. I guess this is what I know her from. I think she was on House for a long time. Okay. She, she was a, a, a fairly oh, prominent yeah, yeah. TV All right. I, ne- I didn't put that together that that's who that is. I never watched it. So yeah. I thought I knew her from something else, but I don't know. It might just be this. Originally, this episode was called The Orgasm. An interesting little tidbit. 
the Kama Sutra does actually recommend drinking mango juice before sex, and mangoes are known as natural Viagra, so oh. it didn't make it up exactly for this episode. It is kind of based in reality. Immediately which is heading to the store to get mango. <laughs> <laughs> well, today they just have blue chew or yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's right, yeah. The fruit stand that Kramer goes to, Joe's, apparently used to accept returns on bad fruit. Season 2, Episode 1, The Ex-Girlfriend, Kramer references being able to return fruit to Joe's specifically, okay. wow. which is weird. A callback. So you're wondering, has he just done it too many times? <laughs> A friend of Larry David's actually pitched the Elaine faking her orgasms with Jerry idea, and it was one of those rare opportunities where... Because I'm sure that was all Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld heard for 10 years was, here's a, an idea for an episode. And oh, it was yeah, a yeah, rare yeah. time where right. Larry was like, yeah, that actually would be great. Yeah. It won two Emmys for writing and directing. Directing is hilarious to me. All of these episodes are directed the same. I don't I know. know what that even means. Right. We open in Monks, and we get the relationship status update with George having a lack of confidence in bed with his new girlfriend, Karen, played by Lisa Edelstein. Another just beyond absurd potential match for George. She is weird in a good way. Sure, yeah. The stuff she says to George, you're not even sure if she's being serious. Is she breaking his balls all the time? Even when she eats the risotto, I, it's like I. it seems like she's messing with him. You know, her reaction after that? I might be an enigma. Yeah. She just says like weird right. shit. Yeah, I find her very intriguing. Same here. George entertains the possibility that Karen is faking her orgasms. I would say, buddy, just assume she is. Don't and who worry gives about a it. shit? <laughs> That's not going to go over well with everyone. <laughs> I mean, from George's perspective of like... I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's letting you I'm have sex with her. I'm not saying she shouldn't deserve to enjoy herself. I'm saying, does George have to ruin his life over this, though? Well, the thing that drives me nuts is the lack of... Of ability to talk openly with their partners. It always right. has to be a thing that goes on in secrecy. And it's just. I know. Just ask her. If that's you're what's that hilarious about it. it. That's just like the show. Anytime something happens that's off putting or contentious or there might be some sort of conflict, they never address it with the person and just go talk with their friends about it, which rings true. Yeah, I get that there's a fear down inside that you don't really necessarily want to know the truth Uh but it seems like the lesson at some point should have been that if you're just open and honest it will go better than yeah whatever this other thing is that you're doing (laughs) just tell me that i'm not good at doing everything according to jerry cleaning out your tub is love (laughs) tub is love yeah I enjoyed George's description of trying to perform oral sex and getting the tap. Right, right. And he compares it to a baseball manager coming out to the mound to get the (laughs) ball. Getting pulled. (laughs) All right, that's enough. Yeah. I think that in the 30 or so years since this episode aired, I would imagine that people have probably gotten better and more open about these sorts of things because of pornography and just the internet in general. And I do think that there was a time pre-internet where some of these sex acts, which seem like everyday things 
for certain people, were probably more of a mystery. That's true, yeah. They were less mainstream. It's Well, I wouldn't say that Cunnilingus was not mainstream. It just wasn't... Discussed in yeah, the mainstream, like, I mean. If you didn't know how to do it, if you didn't... You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It, you could conceivably just not right. really know what you were doing or lose all confidence. And I do think that the conversation that Jerry and George have about it probably did ring true in this time period. It, it would probably be different now. Sure, I'd say so. I think everything else is okay. <laughs> Unless, of course, she's faking. <laughs> Who's faking? Nothing. Faking what? Nobody's faking. Orgasm? She's not faking. How do you know? I know. I can tell. It's one of my powers. Why'd you have a fake? Of course. Really? You fake? On occasion. And the guy never knows? Yeah. How can he not know that? Because I was good. I guess after that many beers, he's probably a little groggy anyway. <laughs> You didn't know. Are you saying I think I'll have a piece of cake with me? Well, you faked with me? Yeah. You faked with me? Yes. No. Yeah. You faked it. I faked it. That whole thing, the whole production, it was all an act. Not bad, huh? What about the breathing, the panting, the moaning, the screaming? Fake, 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 fake. I'm stunned. I'm shocked. How many times did you do this? Uh, all the time. All the time. They're gonna have a chocolate moat in here. Oh, I'm so good. I'm sure you are. Jerry, listen, it wasn't you. I just didn't have them back then. She faked. <laughs> They've all been faking. I'm sure they're not. Maybe Karen is faking. This all leads to the big revelation, though, when they're discussing the idea of Karen potentially faking orgasms when Elaine, who is pushed because she lets them sort of play and Jerry's like kind of talking big oh, and yeah. all this stuff. And then eventually he takes a shot at her about, her, you know, the men she's with being drunk or oh, whatever. Yeah. But she's got the ace in her back pocket. Elaine faked with Jerry every time, and it's it's a rare time when Jerry is taken down a peg in an oh, yeah. episode. This is not something that happens very often on the show. That's where true. Where he's the one that looks foolish. Right. And he's definitely at a huge disadvantage in this episode. And George is reveling in it, <laughs> because Jerry's completely flabbergasted, except until George <laughs> remembers his own fears about Karen. Right when it happens, doesn't a waitress walk by and George is like, can I get a piece of cake? Yeah. <laughs> and then when Elaine says every time or all the time, yeah. he's like, can I get a chocolate malt in here? <laughs> really having a great time, but his own insecurity wins out in the end. Kramer gets banned from his preferred fruit shop, trying to return a bad peach. I know it's just like the Kramer thing and they, they have a line like this in like every episode, but I like when they're talking about the orgasm faking it stuff and Kramer's just like, oh yeah, I faked it. <laughs> when it's enough already and you just want to get some sleep. <laughs> Jerry has a hard time hanging out with Elaine now. Everything's too weird and awkward and he feels emasculated and 
less than, which is something that women probably don't fully understand necessarily, because to Elaine at this point, who cares? Yeah, this right. Is ancient history. She doesn't care. She even says to him at one point, I wasn't having them yet, which yeah. I, you know, I think is a, a possibility with sure. certain women. That uh-huh. just, it hasn't been unlocked yet. <laughs> God, we're just gross, vile monsters talking. <laughs> we don't know shit. <laughs> yeah, pretending like we know just anything. Just two losers in an apartment. <laughs> Sweating through our shirts. Yeah, come on. You can't take anything that we say. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. She's like, yeah, I wasn't having him yet. And he, oh, yeah, it's just yeah. not good enough for him because now he feels like betrayed and hurt. And I have had these moments in my life, not specifically to this, but where you... Th- it just completely changes what your memory and reality was. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry ends up begging Elaine for another shot at it. Almost a- sort of over the top here. Like, yeah, it goes pathetic. It's a big production, and Elaine saying no at first, that she thinks it's going to ruin the friendship, and then they each accuse each other of being a baby. <laughs> Actually do start driving a wedge between each other. We see Karen enjoying the risotto and kicking up a big fuss. Oh, yeah. Making orgasmic sounds. Performance. George becomes so obsessed with his sexual performance that when he's with Karen after the fact, he experiences erectile dysfunction. As I mentioned, this was the days before a blue chew situation. Yeah. I think Viagra was sort of blowing up on the marketplace at some point in the 90s. I don't really know, but I feel like in the early stages, at least with prescriptions, I'm sure it was more limited to people who experienced it forever. Like it was just a no-go. Yeah, yeah. Not just, you know, a case hey, of... I need a pick-me-up. Performance <laughs> yeah. anxiety. With George looking at him, I'm surprised that this wasn't a problem sooner. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. Sometimes I think your physical fitness can play a part. Your confidence can play a part. Sure, yeah. Kramer asks Jerry to buy fruit for him, and then Jerry ends up getting banned as well. So then George (laughs) has to go and buy fruit for the both of them. Something that actually surprises me about Jerry, it seems shocking the things that he's just willing to do for his friends. Buy fruit? That's shocking? Just, (laughs) they're always like asking him to just go do stuff, and he does it. Well, think about his life. Yeah. He doesn't do anything. I know. (laughs) I guess it is just sometimes do. he does stand up comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows when? Yeah. Other than that, he's not really doing anything. His life revolves around his friends. That's true. George ends up trying a little bit of the mango, and it's an instant bone situation. And he runs off to go out with Karen, I guess, to make up for what happened previously. Uh-huh. In Karen's defense, George already stinks. <laughs> really? And now he can't even get a boner, and she doesn't seem to care. No, I know. It doesn't seem to be like a big issue or anything. But then George just can't shut up about it. It's got to be a whole thing. One of many situations that George has a good situation that he just completely blows. Jerry and Elaine are on the verge of having their friendship broken up. They're actually returning (laughs) items to each other. I love that Elaine had poker set over at Jerry's house. Well, that's the fun of these shows is they can always imply that there's like so much more going on than what we see. Yeah, yeah. Than just schemes. Finally, she caves and says, all right, let's go. I'll give you a half an hour. And it is sex to save the friendship. Uh Uh-huh. A half an hour. 
I believe this was all. Yeah, what what is this? <laughs> I believe this was already after the fact where they try the friends with benefits, right? That yeah, that's happened. early. Yeah, that's definitely. I, I thought that was in a pretty early season. I'm surprised they didn't at least reference that. Yeah, right. I thought they would have worked that in too. That jumped out to me as well. George ends up getting tossed out of Karen's bed for assuming that she was faking her orgasms and accusing her of it. Again, dude, what are you doing? I know. Actually infuriating. Worst case scenario, let's pretend she is. Don't you think that maybe it's nice of her to do that so that you don't feel bad? Yeah. So she's doing something nice and she's letting you have sex with her. Not that you don't want her to be having a good time, but, but at some she- point she's got to speak up and say, hey, you know what, this this isn't, you, you need to be doing this or that or whatever. So if she isn't doing that and she seems rea- reacting well, then what can more can you do? Well, that's Why what I'm are saying. you killing I mean, yourself yeah, over And this? that's the point that I was trying to make earlier. I mean, she could be laughing him out of the room. That's the alternative. Well, that would be fun if you were dating someone yeah. who was laughing you out of the room. Get out of here. <laughs> Jerry ultimately experiences his own erectile dysfunction, too much stress well, over you start, the orgasms. Yep. and Start overthinking it. Everything else. But then Elaine mentions the mangoes, and he knows what he has to do. We never see if the act is consummated. Yeah, we don't know if they actually do it, if he's successful. and I'm surprised that she was willing to just kind of lay around nude reading magazines. Well, they're under the blankets. Yeah, yeah. You would think, sort of though, a filthy show. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But I'm just thinking you would think that if it's not happening, she's not just going to keep laying there. But I don't know. Well, it, it, they had probably just given up. Yeah. It was to save the friendship, though, so. Yeah. Back then, they had to dance around the subject. Nowadays, they would just come out and be like, Jerry, you never made me come. <laughs> On network TV. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I feel like yeah, yeah. the jokes were like in Two and a Half Men or Two Broke Girls or something. Okay. <laughs> even though I never watched those shows. Then they just seem... Like, they didn't sure even was, try to right. dance around subjects. Yeah. It was just complete filth. Uh-huh. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure people are going to be sending us clips from two broke girls where they were saying that. Next up, The Big Salad, Season 6, Episode 2, written by Larry David, directed by Andy Ackerman. George gets upset when he buys a big salad for Elaine, but his girlfriend gets the thank you. Jerry's girlfriend used to date Newman, and Kramer gets entangled with a former professional athlete on the golf course, leading to an O.J. Simpson parody. I'm not treating you to lunch anymore! (laughs) You had to tell Julie that I made a special point of telling you that I bought you the big salad, didn't you? Uh, uh, You know, (laughs) if it was a regular salad, I wouldn't have said anything. (laughs) But you had to have that big salad! Yeah, this is one that I enjoy all the stories. Yeah, this is a good one. I don't hear it mentioned in a lot of the best of lists and stuff as much. Yeah, that's true. I think we did a weird mix with these first 24. I think we oh, we hit a lot of the ones that are known as some of the best, but then we went off on our own and picked some randoms. For sure. This one's somewhere in the middle. I think it's highly rated, but it never is like a top 10 or 15 or even 20. But right, right. I think it's a really solid episode. It is based on a real-life Larry David incident, which his life is all oh, your yeah. enthusiasm. Dude, absolutely. Maybe it's times 100, but I mean... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think they might actually be making it more normal okay. for these shows. <laughs> but I mean, it is something that does 
totally resonate with me. This is something that I just wouldn't be able to get over. I don't even think it would occur to me. Oh, dude. I would not be paying attention to what the person said who I need, got the salad. I need the credit. I need the pat on the back. Like, Thanks for doing this for me. Lauren Bowles, who plays a waitress yeah. from True Blood. That is Julia Louis-Dreyfus's half-sister. They have the same mother. I did not know that. She appears in a fair amount of the episodes for as sure. a waitress. It's interesting just because she's in it and Michelle Forbes is in it, who played Marianne from Ooh. season two of True Blood. Right. And she plays Julie, George's girlfriend. There is a scene where they're at Monk's, and I'm, I was watching this episode with my parents one time, and I'm like, oh, two of these women were in True Blood. <laughs> were your parents like, what is that? Yeah, pretty much. One of the more shocking elements of this episode is this aired nine months after the murders and the car chase. Wow. Talk about no regard. Just who cares about too soon? We're just going for it. Yeah. In a way that would never happen now. No. This would get crucified if a show tried to do something Absolutely. like this. Absolutely. Making light of two horrifically brutal murders, basically. Even though it's not really making light of those murders, but... Yeah, it's to more get to the joke, right, though, yeah. you have to go the same route with the former athlete and everything uh-huh. else. I wanted to point out to you because we talked about this in the After Hours episode. Okay, KL five. Yeah, no, I that did cross my mind too. I told you, KL yeah, right. is five five. In certain cities, I think with like a lot of numbers, they they used to do the the letters thing sometimes. But KL, if you look at the phone, yeah, yeah. that's five five. So you're talking about five five five. It's a I, fake number. Right. I was gonna make myself a note, and I was like, you know what? I guarantee Zach brings that up, so I don't need to. <laughs> we also have Marita Garaday who played. Nancy in Groundhog Day. Ooh. She plays Margaret. Yes. Jerry's girlfriend in the episode. Elaine and Jerry are at a stationery store to order a Rolamec 1000 for Mr. Pitt, her boss. It's some kind of a special mechanical pencil. Jerry Levine plays the stationer guy in a perfect casting. Oh, yeah. He's Just getting a- ideas. <laughs> Just Elaine. That's what she tells him his name her, oh, her right. name is. Like Cher. <laughs> and she gives Jerry's phone number when she special orders this pencil because yeah. this guy has ideas. Just constantly giving out numbers that are not hers. Yeah, it was presented in a way that is funny for a show, but it goes to show you that nothing has changed. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of work for a woman. Just constant. I know. Especially someone that looks like Elaine, you know. I'm happy to report that it, it never happened to me, but probably because I don't think that I ever asked a random girl for their phone number. But I was with friends who did and then made the call. And it was a fake number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a beatdown. They come across George and Julie on the street and offer to bring back some food for Elaine. And Elaine requests a big salad from Monks, mm-hmm. which right away George is sort of annoyed by. He doesn't understand how you order a big salad for Monks. But they do it, and then it ends up being Julie who carries the salad into the apartment and hands it to Elaine. And George, Elaine such a gentleman, <laughs> thanks Julie. And so George doesn't get the credit. And this goes on throughout the episode where George is pointing it out to Jerry. Jerry didn't notice it, but then he's sort of baffled by it. And then 
George just can't help himself and has to bring it up to Elaine. Uh-huh. And Elaine ends up so irritated at George for turning this into a thing that she ends up venting to Julie the next time she sees her. Oh, I know. And then this leads to the inevitable <laughs> breakup with George. That is the last time I'm buying you lunch. The one thing that always sticks out to me, though, is when Elaine mentions to Julie, well, I better get out of here or else George will make me buy him lunch to pay him back for the big salad. It seems so weird that Julie would say, how do you know that? That's what she says. Yeah. And then, of course, that's when Elaine would tell her right, right. what happened. That just feels like a bridge too far for me. Yeah. Julie... I don't know anything about her because this is the only episode she's in and you know you never get a big introduction or backstory but she doesn't know these people that well that just seems like such a weird thing to say. I do agree. I would think that maybe if she was suspicious she would take that back to George but to just blurt that out to Elaine. Uh-huh. Because the implication is that she's immediately annoyed that George would do that but it's not like Julie actually paid for the salad. Right, so. right. I don't know why she's on such high alert that she would just say that to Elaine. Like, how do you know that? Like, it, I don't know. It I, she's oddly accusatory about the whole situation. It doesn't feel believable. I get why her reaction is what it is once it's all clear because yeah. it's so petty and weird. It is, but I, I, I still feel like I wouldn't really be mad about it. I totally get George's thing, <laughs> but I can't get why somebody would be mad. I, because that's the thing. I, in this case, I'm on George's side. He did buy the salad. <laughs> yeah, but... It's a salad. How much money could it have been? Well, why does Julie need the credit? Credit is not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's just words. She's not getting anything from it. You see what's going on up here all the time? It's tough. Julie was always a little more metropolitan, let's say, Uh than George. Their conversations, not a great (laughs) match. I know. She's talking about different columnists that she reads He's every trying to time weave in the paper. In a Atlanta Falcons quarterback. Herbert. Yeah. H E R B E R T. A Bear. H E B E R T. It's a fun name to say. Try yeah. saying it. He is <laughs> Conversation the worst. Thanks. Yeah. Jerry is dating Margaret and finds out she used to date Newman. Oh. To make matters worse, it was Newman who ended things with her, and it ultimately destroys the relationship. Just a great plot point. One of the great plot points of the entire run of the show. It's something that, again, they could never do this now, because it's so superficial, it's so awful, but it's hilarious. (laughs) Right. I love that Newman knows that it will fuck with Jerry so much in the way he leaves the apartment. Bye, Jerry. Have fun. <laughs> the Doesn't he say like toodaloo, too? Yeah. Yeah. I do appreciate the endless parade in Jerry's apartment anytime he's there with a woman. One person oh, after dude. the next coming in. <laughs> Newman, Kramer, oh, yeah. George, Elaine. The Kramer thing is actually like a bit when he has a woman there because Kramer will just always come in and then not leave. He doesn't get it. Yeah. Kramer has a dispute with an ex-Major League Baseball player named Steve Gendison, fictional, on the golf course. And then later the same day, Gendison murders a dry cleaner named Pincus. Poor Pincus. Yeah, really. Kramer feels responsible 
and ends up as the AC Cowlings to Gendison's OJ Simpson, complete with the actual Ford Bronco chase footage, <laughs> which is a weird touch for the show. I know. To go that route and use the actual news footage of the chase. Elaine ends up dating the stationery store man out of guilt because he special ordered the pencil, but she already got one somewhere else. And when he says, would you make it up to me by going out with me? Just her horrified. I know. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which does seem insane that she would do. The times that these characters feel guilty. Yeah. It's inexplicable. (laughs) There are times, though, and I think this comes up later in the last episode we're going to talk about with George, where they just can't escape the situation, the awkwardness. They just can't deal with it, so they have to go along with it. I do enjoy the finale, the the close to this episode when George confronts Elaine and you had to have the big salad. And then they all gather around the TV and realize that Kramer's driving the Bronco. (laughs) Basically saying the same thing that AC Cowling said. You know who I am, damn it. (laughs) I'm Kramer. It's wild that this was... Not even a full year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I I didn't realize that, how close it was. And I think it was just maybe the prior season before the murders when Elaine wasn't happy with her boyfriend's name because his name was the guy that killed those people on the subway, Joel Rifkin. Right, right. I think that's what... And then so she's suggesting other names, and she says OJ. (laughs) (laughs) Two left. I think we've mentioned this before, but... It's always a good reminder that the last couple of seasons of the show, I think kind of starting in season seven and then definitely in eight and nine, the show loses all trace of reality and just becomes so weird and crazy. Right. There's a certain gritty reality to the comedy in the first five, six seasons of it where it's much more relationship-based, it's much more humanity-based, even if it is... A little absurdist. Yes, yes. And then they start going off the rails. Uh Uh-huh. And it's one of the few shows that I think actually successfully pulls it off. Because I think a lot of shows, their last couple of seasons aren't usually as good. And I wouldn't make the case that season eight or nine or whatever are the best seasons of the show, but... There's still great stuff in there. Yeah, they somehow take their formula and just blow it out to be completely insane. And then you get stuff like... The Merv Griffin show or whatever. And this is a good example of an early episode with that where the schemes with Kramer start getting more weird and then Jerry does something in this episode that's so over the top. (laughs) And I'm talking about The Rye, season 7, episode 11, written by Carol Liefer, directed by Andy Ackerman. After George's parents... Take back the bread they gifted to Susan's parents. George makes Jerry find another loaf and tries to appease Susan's parents by taking them on Kramer's Manhattan horse tours to disastrous consequences. Uh Very excited to get to this one because it has the Rosses and the Costanzas together. That's right, yeah. I gotta say, we start off with Elaine and a... Man, when you get to these later series with her hair, she's a whole nother level of beautiful. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think horse tours were recently in the news. People have started to question the morality as temperatures soar and 
the asphalt is so hot. I think there was a video online of some horse laying on the ground and having to be like hosed off. It was like a horrible looking scene. All right. Well, I would be fine if we decided that we weren't going to have those anymore. Not for me. Yeah, not for me. Chef Boyardee wanted no part of the episode, so they had to invent Beefarino. Understandable as the consequences. <laughs> yeah. Especially considering that it's a horse eating it, which is its own weird thing that we'll get to. Right. This is one of those episodes where I'm going to dismiss a storyline outright. And it's actually kind of a surprise because you would think it would be good and write up Seinfeld's Alley, which is the Elaine storyline. The whole thing with her boyfriend is a saxophone player, doesn't do oral sex. The whole hot and heavy thing. I, I just think it's. It. Well, I, here's the one thing I was really annoyed by for it. I didn't get why she was thinking that her describing it as hot and heavy would be something that would upset him. Well, it's just a, a trope in the 90s. You know, men don't want to be in relationships, okay. can't be pinned down. Just that kind of a thing. All right. He doesn't do everything. <laughs> It's a creative way to get there with the audience. The audience immediately knows what they're talking about without saying it. But I feel like for that juicy, no pun intended, that's disgusting, (laughs) of a topic for Seinfeld, I just feel like they could have done more with it. And it just doesn't really, it it doesn't intertwine It peters out, yeah. It just, I don't know, it doesn't work. The reason we're here, the main event, (laughs) George's parents meeting Susan's parents for the first time, the Costanza's getting ready to go, screaming at each other. One thing I did notice is that the Costanzas always are fighting, always bickering, always yelling at each other, except when they're talking about other people. And when they're talking about the Rosses, they're on the same page. They're aligned. Your father is 100% right. (laughs) Pure lunacy. And they have to get this marble rye from Schnitzer's. This is a must-bring to the... dinner situation it does remind me of taking my parents to like a nice dinner i can't imagine your parents are this funny though no 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 it's more just sad and depressing (laughs) i they are neurotic i will say that kramer has gone a little nuts with the uh, warehouse store (laughs) purchases and he's trying to get all of that stuff out of the trunk of his car up into his apartment it reminded me of me my mindset is it has to be one trip, no matter how much I've bought at, at the grocery store. <laughs> right. He does a full flip when he's like trying to carry those cans. Uh-huh. In, and <laughs> that's when that guy says, hey, could you get my mail? And then he's like, hey, you, you could take out my handsome cab. I didn't really think the offer was that great. And he's like, I'll split it with you. 50-50. Yeah, really? 50. Really? You're not going to be here, and I'm going to do it, and you get 50% of that? Yeah, it doesn't sound great. I get that he's got to wet his beak a little bit. It's sure. his deal. Oh, yeah. 50-50. <laughs> How about your horse just sits there, then? Yeah. How about that? <laughs> Although it seems like Kramer would have done it for free. Right. Just always willing to do whatever. The actual dinner with the Costanzas and the Rosses is a work of art. You could hang it in the Louvre. <laughs> It's perfect. <laughs> I've seen people be dismissive of it that they felt like it was too sitcommy, that it wasn't as good as Seinfeld could be. I disagree. I think wow. Jerry Stiller is in rare form. I didn't realize there'd be that much commentary around this dinner scene. There's extensive writing about every episode. Uh, okay, of Seinfeld. gotcha. There's tons of reviews of everything. I used to have like magazines filled, <laughs> filled with 
rankings and <laughs> rate star ratings for each one. Alrighty. This was delicious, Mrs. Ross. Oh. What are you complimenting her for? She didn't make it. Rowena did. <laughs> what is this thing, anyway? It's Cornish game hen. What is that, like a little chicken? Oh, it's, uh, it's not a little chicken. <laughs> a little chicken. <laughs> it's, a, it's a game bird. Yeah. Game bird? Yeah. What do you mean, like you, you hunt it? Yes. How hard can it be to kill this thing? I couldn't help but notice, but you have quite a library in there. If I had a dime for every book he's actually read, <laughs> I'd be broke. <laughs> More wine, anyone? Thank you. How do you like the Merlot? Merlot, I never heard of it. Did they just invent it? Oh, brother. She's, uh, she's heard of the Merlot. <laughs> Let me understand. You got the hen, the chicken, and the rooster. The rooster goes with the chicken. So who's having sex with the hen? <laughs> Talk about it another time. But you see my point here? You only hear of a hen, a rooster, and a chicken. Something's missing. Something's missing, all right. <laughs> They're all chickens. The rooster has sex with all of them. That's perverse. So has anybody seen Firestorm? Firestorm, that's a hell of a picture. Yeah. Remember when they had the helicopter land on top of that car? Hey, 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 come on, come on. I haven't seen it yet. It doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Still, still, I like to go in fresh. Oh, mother of God. Yeah, I think it works great. I think that you kind of get the full scope. Mrs. Ross, an alcoholic. Mrs. Costanza, an idiot. Mr. Costanza, loud, boorish, Obnoxious. ridiculous. Yeah. Mr. Ross, an asshole. It all comes out right. perfectly. After the uncomfortable dinner, Frank surreptitiously takes the rye back because the Rosses never served it. It's a huge humiliation for George. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so he ends up getting the idea to sneak an identical rye bread into the Ross's kitchen so they'll never know it was gone in the first place. Turns out he needs all of his friends to pull this plan together. Yeah, George is worried that this incident would potentially haunt him for the rest of his life, assuming that he and Susan actually get married, which I get. But at the same time, maybe if he was a true schemer, he would be thinking, I could parlay this into the families never having to be around each other. Mm -hmm. Although then you got to do... Two Thanksgivings, two Christmases, whatever, you know, you gotta repeat uh, everything. Yeah. This is the plan. Have Kramer take Susan's parents on a handsome cab ride as a wedding anniversary present while he and Jerry sneak in the rye. However, at the bakery, an elderly woman gets the last rye. Jerry tries to buy it from her, but then ends up having to forcibly steal it from her in the streets, uttering the immortal line. Shut up, you old bag. <laughs> All right, look, I'll tell you what. I'll give you $50. Now, be reasonable. You cannot turn down $50 for a $6 rye. No. Watch me. Stop it. I want that rye, lady. Help. Someone help. Shut up, you old bag. <laughs> One of the funniest unexpected moments yeah, yeah. i think the first time you see it i remember yeah, being blown away because it just is so random right. and out of character even though jerry is 
not a good person. It's it, not in this way. Yeah, it's so over the top. <laughs> and his his face when he's running away with it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like he's so pleased with himself for doing it. Yeah. This is another one of those moments though, where I'm just like, I can't believe Jerry's just going to pick up bread for George. He volunteers to yeah, do it. I, know. I think he loves encouraging these little schemes. I know. He likes just being part of the schemes. He's schemes. greasing the wheels. Yeah. He wants to see how this is going to play right. out. <laughs> I get it. You know, you're sitting around all the time. You don't yeah. want to just be sitting there bored, not no, doing yeah. anything. That's a, it's Why like... not be a part of some fun schemes? <laughs> yeah. I wish I had some schemes going. <laughs> However, Kramer, when he takes the Rosses out on this horse ride, the beefarino that he bought from the warehouse store and is feeding a fucking horse yeah leads to excessive farting uh-huh cutting short the trip not a very romantic night out i get that beef comes from cows but it feels borderline cannibalistic and disgusting that this is happening seems unethical yeah the one thing he gets right, though, is that he does show up on time. I love that George is like inwardly panicking. <laughs> How could I have done this? How, How could, could I, I have trust trusted him? <laughs> Here he is, right on time. <laughs> but Kramer blows it anyway uh-huh. with the beefarino. And it's another home run ending with Jerry trying to throw the rye up to the second floor of this townhouse. I know. Unable to do it. George gets a fishing pole with fishing line right. and hooks the rye. This bread, the amount of times he throws it up in the air and it lands like back on the streets of New York City, I mean, it'd just be gross. Well, I don't think they'd be eating it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I know. But just getting busted with the rye on a fishing line, he turns around, the Rosses and Susan are standing. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you almost wish that there was a little more continuity between the episodes because you want to pick up the next episode hearing yeah, how know. this is possibly explained. <laughs> yeah. But that never happened. It always is a nice hard reset. Okay, last episode. The Foundation, Season 8, Episode 1, written by Alec Berg and Jeff Schaefer, directed by Andy Ackerman. George is asked to run a foundation in Susan's memory. Elaine takes charge of the Peterman catalog, and Jerry comes to a realization about his engagement. It's actually the start of the Peterman storyline that concludes with another episode we did, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. Where she has to track him down. Uh Uh-huh. This marked the departure of Larry David from the show as executive producer. He would still do the voice of George Steinbrenner, but was essentially not involved until the finale. Okay. So he basically missed two seasons worth of the show and then came back and executive produced and wrote on the finale Jerry Seinfeld takes control we'll get back to that in a second it's the first time they use the upward panning camera move when George yells out con it's used again later a few times throughout the show Kramer's story which I think is probably my favorite part of this episode and one of my favorite Kramer side stories maybe ever yeah was inspired by a college friend of Berg and Schaefer's, so it was based on a real thing where their college friend was bragging about their karate, and then they found out he was in a class with a lot of younger (laughs) people. The thing for me about this episode always is the whole Susan's funeral, them not really, or not funeral, but visiting her grave, not having any emotion or reaction or anything, and then when they do the 
Rathacon thing yeah. and a hell of a thing when Spock dies in that boat, getting choked up. This is our introduction to Bruce Davison as Wick Thayer. He would be in three total episodes working on the Foundation. Wink? Jerry, in real life, ended up paralleling Elaine's story. He was not happy with how this episode turned out and sort of experienced a lack of confidence with Larry David leaving the show, and it, it, it took him a while to get on track with season eight. Gotcha. There is definitely some bangers in season eight, so I can kind of see, I think, the bizarro Jerry is coming up and a few like really known episodes. But yeah, this episode is sort of a, a definitive George down on his luck type thing. He can just never catch a break, but at Those, the same time, yeah. he never deserves one because he's such a piece of shit. I know. Those are the ones that always speak to me the most, though. The George down on his luck eps. Jerry quotes Star Trek II Wrath of Khan to the Rosses, and yes, it was a hell of a thing when Spock died. <laughs> the epitome of what they are. A real person from their life, including like George's fiance, is dead. They can't bring themselves to remotely have any sort of emotional connection to it, yet a character from a movie dies, and they're emotional about it. And it's not even something that they watched recently. That I, feels like me. I was going to say, it feels something like at least you would relate to. I, well, I would say it's both of us. This is the triumphant return of Bachelor George, or at least he thinks, and the things that he seems to believe he will be able to do as a bachelor are a little weird. He's <laughs> certainly preoccupied with eating a big block of cheese, yeah, which is mentioned a couple of times. My bachelor life, similar. Kramer is taking a karate class, and Jerry and Jeannie, played by... Janine Garofalo, yeah. mutually call off their engagement in a flashback, which is how we left season seven, right? but then Susan dies, which we have not covered on the show, but that's where we've picked up, and then Jerry and Jeannie just end it. Simultaneously saying, I hate you. They encounter Dolores on the street, the woman that Jerry didn't know her name and at one point thought she was named Mulva. She returns from the Junior Mint episode, which I wasn't sure. I don't think we did that one, right? Uh, no. That's another strong episode, of course. But the idea here is that women are interested in Jerry again because they think that he can go all the way. It doesn't matter that the engagement didn't work out, but once he's gotten there, people are... He's got the stink of responsibility on him. Peterman runs off to Burma, which we may know as Myanmar don't really know what the country is known as today. No. Leaving Elaine in charge of the catalog, and it's Kramer who is able to give her a pep talk thanks to his karate, talking about his katra, his inner strength that he's able to draw upon. Jerry not quite as believing in Elaine's ability to run the catalog. <laughs> no. He tells us that he's dominating his the dojo. He's the class champion. And almost immediately... Once Elaine leaves the apartment, a boy comes in and he says, Kramer, we're going to be late. We find out that Kramer's in a class of children. Well, they're all at the same skill level. The Rosses create a foundation in Susan's honor to keep her memory alive, inspired by Jerry's Star Trek quote, and want George to sit on the board of directors, monopolizing all of his free time. It's one of the 
prototypical George scenarios where it's too awkward to refuse, I would say that I know that George in the universe of the show is deserving of some punishment or retribution, but this is absurd. I would just say no. What yeah. are they going to do? You don't have to say it to their face. Just be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, and then just never do it. What right, they, true. They, they have no hold over him. I know. And just... what is even happening at this foundation that the board of directors needs to meet for? I mean, I know something happens in this episode, but... Yeah, I know. Why would it take so much time? Oh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't even make sense. But I guess they kind of do a better job of explaining it in later episodes where I guess there's this latent fear that he's going to be accused of murdering Susan with the <laughs> poison envelopes right. and everything. But that's not really explained or anything. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense that he would do this. But it is a devastating blow for him to learn that he would have probably been living the good life for a change if the wedding had actually occurred. Oh, yeah. As there were all of these things that were going to be endowed upon him and Susan upon the marriage. The house in the Hamptons. Elaine shows up to Kramer's karate class under the pretense of thanking him for inspiring her to do the catalog, but then has to confront him when she realizes that he's beating up children. And then Kramer is confronted again in the alley after class by all of the angry kids. This was kind of one of those moments where it seemed like it was a movie reference because it just seems shot in a specific way that's not like... I believe it is, but I I can't remember right now what it's from. Okay. Jerry is taking the time to survey the waitresses of monks to find out what story works better with them. Yeah, pretty good move. Who broke up with who in the engagement situation, et cetera, et cetera. And then he discovers that George's story tests the best, being a widower. Yeah. Unfortunately, George is now preoccupied with the foundation. The cover of Elaine's first J. Peterman catalog is the Urban Sombrero. Mm-hmm. Dad, I wouldn't eat anything you caught in that pond out in front of the condo. <laughs> All right, look, Elaine's here. I gotta get going. Uh, by the way, uh, I'm not getting married. Tell mom. Bye. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you stop by the dojo? Yep. How's your confidence level? Shut. Self-esteem? Gone. Doofus? You. <laughs> All right. So what? You put out the catalog, how bad could it be? <laughs> what is that? The urban sombrero. I put it on the cover. Nobody sees the cover. <laughs> what happened to you? I got whooped. You should have seen the rage in their little eyes. And those Tiny little fists of fury. What is that? It's the new cover of the J. Peterman catalog. It is Elaine's choice. Let's congratulate her. This is all your fault. You told me I could run the company. Well, then I was way off. Well, I'll see ya. Vaya con Dios. Now, this was one that you picked. Yeah. Anything else to contribute for this? (laughs) Well, I don't really care about the Elaine storyline as much in this episode. I'm mostly here for the the George stuff. Yeah. Her doll collection valued at $2.6 million. million. 
which I know that the value of something doesn't work the same as inflation, but like that number would mean five million today. Right. So we're talking about like a five million dollar doll collection, essentially. Insane. Now um, I know that the value of the things may not work that way. It may be worth more or less, just depends. But that is, number is hilarious. There is a part <laughs> Considering we saw the doll collection, there's an episode with yeah, yeah, the dolls. Right. I do enjoy when, I believe it's when George is confronting Jerry about the fact that it's his fault that he's in this position. They're just sitting at Monk's and he just takes the mustard and pours it in Jerry's coffee. (laughs) Just casually. Yeah. And then the Rosses can't even remember the quote. Yeah. And then he's like, who the hell knows? I know. I think if you blow up and zoom in on George's VHS collection, supposedly Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me is in there. Oh, wow. Which the Rosses would be in. Yeah. At Um, least Susan's mother. Right. I'm not sure is... Oh, yeah, he is in it, because there's a part where Laura's over at the Hayward's house. Oh, yeah, okay. talks to her there. Yeah. But I also just really enjoy in the opening when it's the Rosses, George, and Jerry at Susan's grave. like Jerry goes to this. And George does not want to be left alone with this thing. And when he first starts talking, he immediately tries to get Jerry to say something. <laughs> Jerry's like, no. Yeah, Jerry turns to go with the Rosses. Yeah, and yeah. George grabs his sleeve and he Jerry just yanks his arm away. <laughs> yeah, I think a recurring theme that we're discovering is that Jerry is willing to do oh, things. Yeah. For probably his own entertainment. I know. He's operating at a level different from everyone else he's enjoying this more from like a sociological experiment type <laughs> yeah i'll go i'll go to the graveyard yeah, check this exactly. out see what happens i know it's gonna be weird <laughs> right he's always just looking for material for his stand-up routine all right so that is six more seinfeld episodes down as mentioned we will probably do more next year but we're gonna take a little time off mix in some other topics for give us a second's Anyway, we will be back shortly with a regular episode. We thank you so much for listening. Please reach out to us on Twitter, at GreatestPod. Let us know what you think of the show. Just say, hey, whatever. Follow us on there. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and please give us a rating and review. If you'd like a free sticker, let us know. And you can find us on Letterboxd as well, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. And we will talk to you soon.